you would, turn the Bible to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7, we're going to look at one of the passages that absolutely gripped my life and my heart when I was younger. We're in between series here at our church, and I'm looking forward to us getting back into a new new series where we're preaching through the Bible, and we're going to start one here soon enough. And uh, So we've talked about the, the mission of our church, and And last week we looked at the one another's, and then here today we're going to look at, as it says in your bulletin, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. I started college in the fall of 1998. That sounds like such a long time ago. That actually was three or four decades ago. Um, That actually was 20th century, and now we're 21st century. And that actually was the last millennium, if you believe it, right? That's how long it's been since I went to college, uh, the fall of 1998. And I had been encouraged to get involved with some campus ministry, and so I tried to go to what I could as far as campus ministry, Bible studies or or get-togethers or worship services or, or whatever. I wanted to go to those. And I did. I went to several different ones when I was able to, but one that I will never forget and I have not forgotten since then was I was going to school in South Georgia and just about 30 minutes down the road was Valdosta State University. Valdosta State University. And they had a really strong BSU, Baptist Student Union. And so we would drive down about 30 minutes to go to Valdosta State's BSU And I was there one night, not even a student of that school, but a college student, and the preacher that night showed us that in Revelation 5-9 and in Revelation 7-9, the Bible says that in heaven there will be redeemed people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. I had never heard that before. I was kind of, sort of raised in church, especially through my teenage years, I was raised in church, and so I really do not know if I had been taught that before. I don't know. And you know how that goes when you're a kid. They could have been teaching that all along. I just wasn't hearing that all along, right? They could have been saying that, but I was not uh, getting that for whatever reason. And ultimately, truly being able to have ears to hear comes from the Holy Spirit. For whatever reason, I don't know, but it was at that time in the fall of 1998 that I remember seeing in the Word of God that God has, is, and will be saving people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And and God words it like that uh, for for a lot of reasons. He could have said lots of people. He could have said many people. He could have said from many places. He could have said from all over. But it seems to be very specific that he uses four different terms to show every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. And you know, to this day, I didn't then and I still don't. I don't know who the guest speaker was that night. And I've thought many times over the years that I would love to reach out to him because one thing that happens when you're a preacher is you never know, like, you know, how God uses it. Sometimes you get some feedback, but for the most part, you don't. And here I am some, uh, you know, 22 years later, still thinking about how thankful I am that he that night pointed that out from the scriptures. I'm still reaping the benefit of him showing that to a group of college students. And so here this morning, 
I want us to see what the Bible says about every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. The Bible begins with God creating. And the Bible begins with God giving his two people, Adam and Eve, a rule and to not disobey him and with tons of blessing. And yet they disobeyed him. And so in their disobedience and their sinning against God, we now have throughout the rest of the Bible what God is doing to bring his people back to him. We have the long, long book, this long message from God of all that God is doing in the world, the work of God for how he is going to create a people. One of the most key passages in this long redemptive story, this long plan of redemption, right, this plentiful redemption, as Jake read from Psalm 130 in our call to worship, in this long story of redeeming people that we have in the Bible, one of the most key places is with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And many of you all know this key passage. And in Genesis 12, when God calls Abraham truly out of nowhere, basically, and he calls Abraham, he says, from you, I will create a, a new nation. And in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. He says that. He changes Abram's name from Abram to Abraham. And Abram was a great name. It was exalted father. But in changing his name, he changed it from exalted father, which could be a good godly, godly name. He changed it from exalted father to Abraham, which means the father of many nations, the father of a multitude. And what we see God doing throughout the rest of the Bible and therefore the rest of history is God moving in the direction of saving people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. But if we haven't been listening or if, if, if we haven't been teaching that, as I'm trying to do here today, then we may have missed it. Christopher Wright, in his book, The Mission of God, says this, and God, in the midst of the resounding praises, so he's commenting on Revelation 7 that we're about to read, and God, in the midst of the resounding praises, will turn to Abraham and say, there you are, I kept my promise, mission accomplished. Isn't that a neat thought? That God told Abraham a long time ago, Abraham, I'm going to start with you, and I'm going to create a people. You'll be the father of, of, of a multitude, and people from every tribe, town, people, and nation will all come into one big family under the banner of Jesus as Lord. Jesus died for my sins. I believe in him. He's changed my life. Under that one unifying piece of Christ is our Lord, there will be a heaven full of people who love Jesus according to God's word from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And that at that moment, it will be clear that God has accomplished what he said he was going to. Read with me, if you will, from Revelation chapter 7. We're going to read verses 9 and 10. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Revelation 7, 
verses 9 and 10. The book of Revelation is the final book in the Bible. It is one revealing uh, vision. Uh, That's why it's not plural. It is one revealing vision that God gives to the Apostle John. The Apostle John had been a faithful follower of Christ. He had been persecuted. He is now in exile in the island of Patmos. And while he's there, left to die, it seems was the case, while John was uh, exiled there, in prison there, on that island, left to die as a faithful follower of Christ, being persecuted, God gives him this vision. John writes it down for us, and it has been preserved for the church in the Word of God ever since, and we reap the benefit. In his vision, we see that God shows John what heaven is going to be like in a lot of ways. Now, all of Revelation is not necessarily all future. A lot of Revelation is the unfolding of the way God is seeing all of history. But in these few chapters, 4, 5, 6, and 7, it is pretty clear that John is looking at heaven with God seated on the throne and all of redemption circled around him. It's it's, it's an awesome language. It's some flowery language, some beautiful language. And it's it's talking about what it looks like in heaven with God in the center and all the redeemed around him, all of creation around him, worshiping him. And what we have here in these verses, chapter 7, 9, and 10, is John looks, and it's a multitude that nobody could count. That's a lot of people, right? That's a big number. You know, there are a lot of people. They tell us that we're nearing 8 billion people on earth. There are a lot of people here. But that's just how many are on earth right now, right? And so most of the people that are on earth right now weren't here 100 years ago. And so how many people were on earth 100 years ago, right? And most of those people that were there 100 years ago weren't there 100 years before that. You see what I mean? So there are a lot of people. And out of all of the people that God has ever made, he has been redeeming them. He's been redeeming people through his salvation that comes through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. And so what John sees and what is really encouraging to us is that the amount of people in heaven is a lot. Isn't that good? We remember Jesus said that there's a, there's a narrow road that leads to salvation and few find it. And there's a broad lo- road that leads to destruction and many people find that. But in Revelation 7, when John looks around, it's a huge number. It's a number that we can't count. Praise the Lord, right? And as I've heard in a song, they sing, may the few be many, Lord. Isn't that our prayer? Isn't that our heart? May the few be many. And Praise God, here, it's at least a number that nobody could count. Well, that's very consistent with the call of Abraham, is it not? Because in the call of Abraham in Genesis 12, he is asked to go outside. There are no city lights blinding the stars. And so here Abraham is out in the middle of who knows where, and he looks up, and there are so many stars, and God says, can you count them? And Abraham says, I can't. And God says, yeah, there are going to be that many children coming through your family in my family More than the stars, more than the sand on the sea, God says. And here in Revelation 7, we have again that there is a number that we could not count. So it's a lot of people. And that group, that redeemed, that church, that worshiping choir who are all united in Christ, who are all standing before the Lamb, who have on white robes, which the Bible also teaches here in Revelation, that the reason why their robes are white is because they've dipped them in the blood of Christ in order to be forgiven of their sins. For the only way for there to be salvation, the forgiveness of sins, is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ on the cross. And everybody throughout history who would be saved must believe that God is the Savior. As they are crying out in verse 10, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
John sees a vision of that. Well, if you'll turn back just to chapter 5, and in my Bible you don't even have to uh, turn the page because chapter 5 is right there. Before we get to that scene of what John is seeing, he sees something else. And there's this scene of, of an angel with a scroll. I mean, one, sorry, uh, one seated on the throne with a scroll. And who can open it? And he asks the question, who's worthy? And nobody is worthy, not in heaven, on earth, or under the earth, is worthy. But then here comes a lamb that's been slain and a lion that is conquering. And he takes the scroll and he opens it. And he hears this singing in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And so we have in 5, 9 and 7, 9, okay? It's easy to remember, 5, 9 and 7, 9. We have God's mentioning of every tribe, tongue, people and nation in heaven. And so today I want us to look at that and be gripped by it, hopefully in the same way that I was in the fall of 1998. My first point for us today is that God created every tribe, language, people, and nation. This is God's plan. This is God's working. This is God's creating. And in order for us to get that, we need to go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. So turn with me to Genesis 1, okay? I'm not sure if you're in for an overview today, but that's what you're going to get, and I hope that you will uh, benefit from it. I hope that your heart is open and you've been prayerful and that God would use his word today. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God says this, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image and the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. Now look at verse 28. God has the first human beings and here's what he says to them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. You've heard that before, right? You've heard be fruitful, multiply before, right? But we tend to keep be fruitful, multiply together by itself more often than we take the whole statement. Look what it says right after that. And fill the earth. Does everybody see that? Fill the earth. Now, because there are no people and because they're just right there in the Garden of Eden, nobody's thinking about all the far places that they could possibly go, right? All the way down into Asia or all the way across the sea over here into the Americas and all that sort of stuff. We've not thought about people going everywhere. We've only got two people and they're right there in the Garden of Eden. And so there's not a lot of emphasis right here on Feel the Earth, but I want you to hold on to it because remember, God wrote this book. And this is the book that God wrote so that you and I would understand everything about God that he wants us to understand. And in God giving us this book, he is showing us how we're going to get from this page to the last page at the end of Revelation. And then we get there, and he's describing heaven. We've got every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Well, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation is really just another way of saying people from all over the place, people from all over the earth, right? So feeling the earth that we hear, see here in Genesis 1.28 speaks to that. Turn over to chapter 9. In chapter 6, you have the corruption over the whole earth. 
You know that God says he's going to flood the whole earth, he's going to destroy absolutely everything. He does, except for Noah and Noah's family, and you know that story. But when you get to chapter 9, I want to show you something. The flood has subsided. The ark has come to rest on Mount Ararat. Noah comes out. First thing he does, he builds an altar. He worships. And so it seems like we are starting over. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. And God blessed Noah and his sons. So there's only eight people. Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives. And God blessed Noah and his sons. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. See it there again. Genesis 1.28 and Genesis 9.1. There is the uh, wording to go and fill the earth. Well, Moses writing the whole Pentateuch, the whole first five books in Genesis, does something neat for us. Because he goes straight from that into chapter 10 where he shows us that this is happening. All right? So if, if, if it's be fruitful and multiply, go and fill the earth, chapter 10 shows us that that's happening. You've got to really pay attention here. And if you love the Word of God, I think you're getting something today. Look what happens here at chapter 10. Look at chapter 10. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them and after the flood. So he starts describing the sons. But look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. From these, the coastland people spread in their lands, each with his own language, by their clans, in their nations. Does everybody see that? Now remember, those of you that know your Bible, we're going to get there in just a second. This is before the Tower of Babel. Is that not fascinating? Languages? Nations? Okay, well, jump down to verse 20. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Okay, jump over to verse 31. These are the sons of Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. Look at verse 32. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies, in their nations, and from these nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. So in chapter 10, we have God showing us that this thing from Genesis 1 and this thing from Genesis 9, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, that it's happening. God is making it happen. In Genesis chapter 10, if we're counting those as nations, because it uses the word nations four times there, then there are 70 nations in chapter 10. Count them. 70 nations in chapter 10. So when I read in Revelation 5, 9, and 7, 9 that every tribe, tongue, people, and nation are going to be in heaven, I'm starting to think, wow, this is a number that nobody can count because that was a long time ago, and there are many, 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 many more nations since then. But Moses, writing the book of Genesis, does us a favor and kind of explains or reveals even more so how that happened. Because in a fallen world, which you and I are very familiar with, Things don't often go the way we want them to go. In a fallen world, as you and I often know, things don't even go the way God wants them to go at times, right? God tells them to do this, and people don't do that. So Genesis 11, with a very short passage, only nine verses on the Tower of Babel, gives us a glimpse 
of the ugliness and the sinfulness and the waywardness and the disobedience that is involved in the spreading out. The history of the world, while it is a beautiful unfolding of the plan of God, is a beautiful unfolding of the plan of God that includes sinfulness and disobedience. And so we see the glory of redemption and God creating a people that love him in the midst of wrongness and sin. We have this at chapter 11. I want to spend some time here at the Tower of Babel, so read with me at chapter 11. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. So you see what's happening here? What we just read in chapter 10 is coming after chapter 11, but he didn't write it that way because he wants us to understand that God is the one bringing about his purpose of languages and nations and peoples, and he's doing it. But he does it through the disobedience of the people, which you and I both know too in our own lives and in our stories, that God has used some waywardness or some sinfulness in our own lives to work still for his glory. It doesn't mean sin's a good thing. It means that God is a great God who can work good out of evil. That's what we see in Genesis chapter 11. So when it begins, verse 1, the whole earth, one language, and the same words. Verse 2, and as people migrated from the east, okay, so they are starting to fill the earth, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. Now let's be careful with that. They're supposed to be filling the whole earth, and they settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Everybody see that? That's what's bad there. We're not to make a name for ourselves. We're to make a name for God. We're to glorify him in everything that we do. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now notice, notice that they want to settle, build, grow, make a name for themselves so that they are not dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Does everybody see that? This is a problem. This is a problem. God said be fruitful and multiply so that you can fill the earth. They said, let's settle here, let's build up into the heavens, let's make a name for ourselves so that we won't be scattered. That's their heart's desire right there. Verse five, and the Lord, there's so much irony in chapter 11, and the Lord came down, don't miss that there, right? They thought they were building up to God and God had to come down to get to this huge tower, right? The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have all one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. Look at verse eight. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. Their very desire was to stop, settle, and build for a name for themselves so they wouldn't be dispersed, and yet in their disobedience, it was the very thing in which God brought about the dispersion. Does everybody see that? That's what's happening there. This is a big deal. It is right after chapter 11, 
or it's in chapter 11 that we hear of Abram, and it's right after chapter 11, chapter 12, when God then calls Abram and says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And through your family, all the families of earth will be blessed. We see God working out his plan through the Tower of Babel. We see the sinful people of the world united, at least on some levels, one voice, one language, one mind, working together with with, with a lot of uh, 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 success to build a tower to make a name for themselves. We see that happening. And then we see God stopping that because one, he wants him, him to get the glory, his name is to get the glory, and they are to be dispersed, and so they are dispersed. We see in the end of Revelation that this dispersing and this every language and every nation that is in heaven came about through this. And so it's fascinating for us to see that that's the way God did it, ultimately throughout the rest of history, to what will be a glory in heaven every tribe language, tribe, language, people, and nation. Christopher Wright, as I've already quoted from, says this. The narrative of Babel five, time uses, five times uses the expression the whole earth. Verse 1, verse 4, verse 8, and twice in verse 9. It is a tale with a truly global perspective. And it ends in global confusion and scattering. God's word to Abraham, by contrast ends with the promise of global blessing for all nations on earth. God's mission is to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Commentator Gradanus says this, at Babel, the Lord counters human efforts not to be scattered by scattering them over the face of the whole earth, thus accomplishing his original plan that human beings should fill the earth. He goes on and says, the Lord scatters humankind, which in disobedience seeks to build its own secular kingdom in order to accomplish his plan that they fill the earth. It's fascinating to know how the Bible ends, which also comforts us to know how the world ends. There is a true God whose son is a true savior, whose blood really washes away sins. And as Matt McBroom prayed so uh, strongly that anybody that believes in him, this is why we go, this is why we give, this is why we work, this is why we pray, this is why we tell, that anybody who believes in him will be saved. And the Bible shows us that God created that. So we see from Genesis to Revelation the connections. We can piece all that together. But the question that you and I really live with from day to day, and even right now as you're sitting here, is like, okay, well, what about right now? What about 2020? And what about from Genesis all the way to Revelation? What about everything in between? I want to show you that it's an awesome study, and I could give you so many good things to read but that God has been always saying these types of things. You just had to see it. I just want to read a few. 2 Kings 19.19. Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from his hand so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, 
our God. God is desiring that everybody would know him. God is working that everybody would know him. And there are countless verses that show this. Psalm 22, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. Or what about the prophets? Isaiah 45, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return to me. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess allegiance. And you know, that's from Isaiah 45, but you know the Apostle Paul quotes that in Philippians chapter 2, that that is what God is bringing about through the preaching of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Well, you get into the New Testament And you have the same thing, just with more clarity. And we read earlier in the service from Matthew 28, the final words of Jesus before he was um, ascending up into heaven. We have a little bit in the beginning of Acts chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 8, we have the Great Commission where he says very plainly that none of us are confused about, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It is the very heart of God and it is to be the heart of God's people that we want people everywhere from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation to know our Lord Jesus. We want them to believe. We want their sins to be forgiven. We could literally go anywhere in the Bible and see where this is coming out. And today I've just read a few. So my first point is that God created every tribe, language, people, and nation. This is his doing. We see it in the Bible. I'm so thankful that that first semester of college in the fall of 1998, a preacher showed up at a campus ministry. He has no idea. He literally has no idea the impact that that had upon me and now hopefully the impact that would have upon us here in Louisville, Kentucky. Every tribe, language, people, and nation that God is working in them, and that was the plan of God. So sticking with that, let's move on now to point number two. God saves people through faith in Christ from every tribe, language, people, and nation. He has done this. He is doing this. He will continue to do this. God has always been doing this. There are people in all nations who are coming to faith in Christ. Don't you remember In Acts chapter 8, Philip is led by the Spirit to go speak to an Ethiopian. You remember that? You know that story, don't you? It's a good story in Acts chapter 8. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And he's led over there to him, and he winds up there with, with what he's writing in, and he's reading the Bible, and he does not understand it. And he asks... What are you reading? Do you understand it? And his answer is as honest as honest can be. He says, no, I don't understand it. How can I understand it unless somebody tells me what it means? Who's he talking about? And the Bible says in Acts chapter 8 that God's, uh, Christ's follower, his Jewish follower, tells the Ethiopian, the African, this is about Jesus who died on the cross for your sins. This is Isaiah 53. This is a suffering servant. God wants to save your soul. And that Ethiopian brother says, I'm ready to get baptized. And he does. 
And let's not miss that that was a cross-cultural, multinational situation where God's follower, Philip, goes and leads an Ethiopian to faith in Christ. That's beautiful. Or let's not miss John chapter 4, the story that we know so well of Jesus at the well with the Samaritan woman. And by all accounts, you've heard the story so many times, they shouldn't have been talking, they shouldn't have been interacting. Society, uh, the culture said, y'all are supposed to hate each other, y'all are supposed to be opposed to each other. And in turn, Jesus invites her to know the God that loves her and made her and knows everything about her and will forgive her of all of her sins and will give her living water that will refresh her soul. What a passage. But let's not miss that they were supposed to not even be interacting. And so we see that God is doing this work in people all the time. In our church, in our small church, we have people from different countries that are in our church and they love Jesus. And one of the neat things about it is they were Christian before they came to our country. Their families were Christians before they came to the USA. They got saved wherever they're from. Somebody was reading the Bible there. Somebody was going to church there. Somebody was teaching the Bible there. And they came to faith in Christ. So this is what God is doing. I know students in the schools around here who have just moved here. I know a family who's from Haiti that just moved to Louisville. And they go to to school here nearby. They're Christians. They're part of a great church in town. And yet God saved them and is working in them. I know a boy who's been to church here. His family is from West Africa. He comes here from time to time. He's a follower of Christ, a baptized believer. He loves Jesus. And it happened before he came here. God saves people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. It's a beautiful thing. This is what God is doing. And this is what God has been doing for a really, really long time. And that's why I spent so much time on that first point, so that you and I would see that what we read about in Revelation... 5979 and the, really the whole book of Revelation of what heaven is going to be like, who's going to be there, we see God bringing this out as we read the whole Bible from Genesis all the way through. God is working in this way. It is an encouraging thing. And it's getting harder and harder to travel. Flight costs go up more and more. But when you do get to travel, and even now you don't even have to travel because we have the internet, we can read all these different stories and there's so many, there's so many awesome websites or email lists or whatever, you can hear about all that's going on, you get to hear such awesome stories of what God's doing. It has been a real blessing in our church to have people who are going on trips, and it has been a huge blessing in our church to be able to send out a family from our church to be missionaries, and we're waiting for them to go, but y'all know who I'm talking about, and we praise God for them. And one of the most encouraging things is when we get to hear from the laymans, and they tell us about the work that's being done where they're going. People that are on the ground there, living for God, teaching his word, translating the Bible. And I want to encourage you that that's what God is doing. He is saving people. When we go and when we preach, God is saving people. Continuing to quote, quote from Wright in his book, The Mission of God, listen to this. The multinational nature of the global church has generated a new reality that is hardly yet acknowledged in many churches. It is the churches of the majority world that are now sending the majority of people into all kinds of cross-cultural mission work. So, listen to this. One is as likely to meet an African missionary in Britain as you are to meet a British missionary in Africa. The same is true for Brazilians in North Africa or Nigerians in parts of West Africa. 
And the same is true for Koreans almost anywhere in the world. Because if you don't know, the Koreans are goers. They are missionaries. They are all over the place living for Jesus. Here in Louisville, we have lots and lots of Koreans that are here studying and preparing so they can go even further as missionaries. He goes on and he says, there are at least 30 times more Indian national missionaries than there are Western missionaries living in India right now. What a neat thought. That God is working so much to bring people to Christ and build his church in places in the world like India, and he's doing it. And we get to reap the benefits of hearing that. And so my second point today is that, that God saves people from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. He always has, and he is, and he will continue to do that. What a beautiful thing that is. And so when we read about that in Revelation 5, 9, 7, 9, we ought not to be taken back by that. We ought to say, of course, that's what heaven's going to be like, because that's what we see him doing. And so lastly here today, I want to remind us that even now, like always, but even now, God is working in every tribe, language, and people, and nation. If you could contact a missionary right now, they would have stories to tell. If you could travel right now, you would see the church moving, working. Even right now, in all places in the world, there are people standing up with this book telling people about God's Son who loves them and died for them. And the Holy Spirit is working through the truth of the gospel to bring people to Christ so they would be forgiven of their sins. Right now, God is doing that all over the place throughout every tribe, language, and people, and nation. I got an email this week. I want to tell you the country. It's an Asian country of a church where they were preaching and working. And while they were having church, the authorities came in, raided the church, stopped the service, and arrested all the pastors. And they took those pastors and put them in prison. I got the email this week. And so the pastors of that church are now in prison. And you know what the email said? It was such a beautiful thing. I felt like it was the book of Acts. The church now goes and gets outside the prison and prays out loud for them and sings songs to them and encourages them with the truth. That's happening this week. God is working. Or let me tell you another story. Coming from a different place, South America. I got an email this week from some believers in South America telling me there's some people in their church that are really sick and they're having a hard time with it. But it's been a beautiful thing to see their church rallying and gathering and praying for them. They said there's been a, a, a uniting of their church body in prayer. That prayer is one of the things that God is using them right now. As many people are sick, one of the things that God is using to bring their church together, to hope in God, trust God, believe God, follow Christ through that. It's awesome to think about that happening. We know some missionaries in France I've told you about who are recently traveling back to France. And they said that they are hearing of so many people getting baptized right now in France, especially Africans that are coming over to France to work. So many people getting baptized right now that they can't wait to be back because the church is thriving and the church is so encouraged. And I tell you those stories so that you would be encouraged today. Right now, God is working in so many places. 
Now, our experience also lets us know that this is never an easy thing, right? It's never downhill and smooth. There's opposition in the world always. But let's not remember that in Revelation chapter 7, what they sang is salvation belongs to our God. It is God who saves. When I think about what God has done in your lives or what God has done in my life, I love the songs of Revelation because it is God who's done it. God did that. God did that. God did that. God did that. What humbled you? God did. What caused you to be repentant of your sins? God did that. What caused you to be so committed to the Bible? God did that. What caused you to love his truth? God did that. That's the testimony. And it's a challenge for all of us to analyze, did God really do that in me? Or am I just going through the motions because somebody invited me or because my parents told me to or something like that? Or did God actually do it? But the testimony of heaven is God did that. He changed my heart. He gave me a love for him. He forgave me of my sins. And that testimony in heaven is one that will happen from people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And so if this is what God is doing in the world, then we want to be a part of that. We want to be goers and givers. We want to be prayers. We want to be those people who are thinking, God, use me to that end. God, use our church to that end. Give me eyes for that. Give me a heart for that. Open me up to that and help me see it. I wonder today if there might be some people who've never heard it like I had never heard it. And your heart is being opened to every tribe, language, people, and nation. I wonder if there might be people here today who are thinking, I want God to use me for every tribe, language, people, and nation. I talked to a school teacher recently here in town that's a Christian. And they said working in a school as a Christian can be really a challenging thing. You don't meet a lot of Christians, and so it's very much so a minority at times. And they said that they recently found a coworker at their school who's a believer. It's been awesome. And that believer's married, and they've invited this person over to their house for dinner, and they've spent a lot of time together. They've talked to Jesus, they've talked church, and they've talked Bible and all of that. He tells me how encouraging it's been that he's met uh, another believer at work here in Louisville in the school system, and now two believers are linked up and they spend time together as a family. But let me share this with you. That believer that they've bonded with so much was born in Iraq, transplanted here several years ago, now works in the school system and follows Christ was a believer in Iraq, moved here, and is a believer now. And it's such a blessing to my friend who is a teacher. This is what God is doing all over the place. And I want our church to be involved with it. I want your heart to be open to every tribe, language, people, and nation. God is working. Those people love God and love his word and follows Christ. And God's working here as well. May God move in our hearts to love his gospel and love his Savior. God loves us through Christ. God loves those people through Christ. And may God continue to work in us to that end. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to sing a closing song here. If you're not trusting in Christ and you need to, 
You see that the songs in heaven in Revelation are all about Christ being a savior. And you don't love Jesus yet, you can respond now. We want to help you follow Jesus. If you need to be baptized because you've not been baptized yet, we want to help you move in that direction. If you're looking for a church to belong to and you want to be a part of this church, you can make that decision now. And for every one of us, may God's word grip us with every tribe, language, people, and nation that we would have hearts and want God to continue using us to that end. That we would be used by God to get to heaven and help others get to heaven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for your commitment to bringing salvation to all peoples spread throughout the world. Father, move in our hearts now. And Father, I don't know exactly how you call people to the mission field. But Father, I pray you'd be working in our hearts now to raise up missionaries. You specifically said that the harvest is plentiful, so we should pray for workers. And Father, we do that now. God, thank you for Jesus, who is the Lord. In his name we pray, amen.